Uh, we're in Acts 12, and um, before we kind of uh, dive into Acts 12, I want us to remember what Luke is doing when he writes Acts, okay? Um, just because it's a long time since we started Acts. When did we start Acts? In September. Uh, it was a whole other year. Was it in September? I think so. A whole other year. Um, so most of us have com- completely forgotten September. And some of us weren't even here in September. Um, so obviously we can't possibly know what Acts um, you know, was written for. Because uh, we weren't even here. Um, but um, if you look at the beginning of Acts, you can see what uh, Luke is doing because he tells us. He's really good like that. Um, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, okay, so he's writing to a guy called Theophilus, and he's referring back to his former book, which is the Gospel of Luke. He says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And then this is the important bit for for this evening, okay? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Luke is writing to explain to Theophilus how come the Christian message of the crucifixion and resurrection of a man in Jerusalem just perhaps 30 years previously, yeah, how that message is now causing such transformation. I was going to say a ruckus. Um, it's causing uh, a huge effects. It's making big ripples all over the Roman world, okay? And um, so he's writing to explain that. And he's explaining it on a different variety of levels. First thing he's saying is, Jesus is doing this, okay? That's the first thing. Second thing he's saying is, um, Jesus is doing this by the Holy Spirit that the Father has sent. But the third thing he's saying is, Jesus is doing this through the witness of his people, yeah? Who Jesus has sent from Jerusalem out into all Judea, into Samaria, next door, as it were, and then into the whole wide world, okay? So through ordinary people, um, empowered and taken up by Jesus through the Holy Spirit, the message of forgiveness uh, through Jesus Christ, of a new life in Jesus Christ, is spreading over all the world. Now, I want you to put yourself into the mindset of someone called Theophilus. 
Um, it appears that Theophilus is probably some kind of Roman official. Anybody know how the Roman Empire spread? Um, somebody surely will know. How did the Roman Empire spread? It spread a long way. Um, if we uh, look at where Rome is, the Romans eventually, they, they ruled Egypt. They ruled, uh, they never ruled Scotland, apparently. Um, Scotland was too tough. But they did take Wales. Um, they ruled, as, I think, as far as the Rhine. Uh, I don't think they crossed the Rhine. Uh, but they, they had a big empire. They, they may have crossed the Rhine. It's conceivable that they crossed the Rhine. Um, how did they do this? How did the Romans have such a big empire? What did they do? Sorry? It's not rhetorical, by the way. You're meant to kind of shout some kind of thing together. Uh, no, one at a time or whatever. Sorry? They did have slaves, yeah. Yeah, I mean, slaves probably are very useful if you want to build a big empire. But, yeah, they did. They conquered. Yeah, they sent out their armies everywhere and conquered. Watch Asterix the Gaul or read Asterix the Gaul books and you'll read about how, how one, and they must be true, mustn't they? How one village in Brittany resisted the Roman invaders. Yeah? Um, and they were soldiers. They were really, really good soldiers. And so um, the Roman Empire spread by conquest. But it took centuries. It took a really long time to conquer the whole known world um, with the Roman armies. And yet here was this message and it was spreading like wildfire and transforming the whole world. It was, they were accused of turning the world upside down. Okay? They were turning the world upside down by this message. So this is what Luke wants to communicate to Theophilus. How come the message of Jesus is taking over the whole wide world? And he follows, we can see how uh, the spread of the message follows the schema that Jesus gave. He said in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and we read, uh, and the whole wide world, and we read of Jerusalem, we read of the Samaritans. We read of, remember the, uh, the guy from Ethiopia, the official from Ethiopia. And then we read of Saul being converted. And we read of Cornelius and his household. And now the message has reached Antioch and has um, built a new community in Antioch. And we're about to take a new step again. If you look at verse 25 of Acts uh, 12... Can you see there? When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Okay? So they're returning to Antioch. And when they return to Antioch, um, in, uh, something interesting is going to happen. So um, here is Luke then, writing to um, Theophilus about this. And before we take that step, of, of moving out with Barnabas and Saul and with John Mark. Before we do that, we need to get something straight. And the something straight is, um, this is a rhetorical question, okay? Don't answer this. I propose to answer this for you. Where is power? Real power. 
Is real power found in conquering armies? Where do you find glory? Where do you find strength? Is it found in Rome and her legions of soldiers? Or is it found elsewhere? This chapter will tell you, okay? This chapter will tell you. And it tells us by setting up an amazing contrast. We've got two major players in this chapter. We've got a guy called Peter and we've got a guy called Herod. And the contrast between them couldn't be more stark, all right? You look at the situation that they're both in and the contrast couldn't be more striking. It's a really big difference. And yet, power lies where you would not expect it. The real power is not where you think it is, okay? So we'll start by looking at Peter. Here is Peter, and Peter has been arrested by Herod. Herod is an interesting character, really. Um, the problem with Herod is it's the name of a dynasty. Um, how many kings has France had? Anything known? How many kings has France had? Anybody make a stab? How are you going to begin to try and work out how many kings France has had? Where are you going to begin? 16 Louis. 16 Louis. So if you say in France, uh, le roi Louis, uh, immediately you've got to think, well, which one? Because there were 16 of them. Okay? Well, in the same way, the Herods, um, not ex exactly the, si the same way, but the Herods were a dynasty. And so you've got to ask which Herod it was. This is not the Herod who slaughtered the babies when Jesus was born. This is not the same Herod. Um, this Herod is a Herod who's, uh, they're all puppet kings. They're all put in place by the Romans. And this one, he wants to get in with the Jews. He wants the Jewish people, who he's nominally king of, he's not really, the Romans rule, but he's kind of king, and he wants the Jews to get on well with him and him to get on well with them. So he did things that he was supposed to do. He went to the temple every day to read the Torah. The king was supposed to read the law every day. And so Herod did that. He would do that. He would go to the temple and read the scrolls. Um, and also, to please the Jews, he thought, well, this church of Jesus Christ is causing a, a bit of chaos in the city. I'll stamp out the church. That will please the Jews. And so what he did was he um, arrested James and he had James beheaded by the sword. He killed him with the sword. It's interesting. It's, it's said that he's, he's put to death with the sword. Now, you remember Stephen. Um, Stephen was stoned to death, wasn't he? The, the, the mob stoned him. But this wasn't. This is a judicial execution. Herod does it, and he does it with the sword. And he does it because um, in the Old Testament, I think it's Deuteronomy um, 13. I was going to say 11, but it's 13. Deuteronomy 13. People who are not faithful to God... Um, can be put to death with the sword. And so Herod is trying to send out this message. These people are not faithful. We'll put them to death with the sword. And he found that that pleased the Jews very much. So he arrests Peter. Peter's the next one. But not during the feast. You mustn't do it during the feast. 
And so Peter is in prison during the whole festival of unleavened bread. He's guarded well. Um, there are four squads of four soldiers. And that gets a bit confusing. We think 16 soldiers to guard one person. That's, that's an awful lot. But it wasn't actually. Um, Peter was chained between two soldiers. Now, I, I don't know what they thought Peter was going to do. But he was chained between two soldiers. Two soldiers at the gate, at the door of his prison. Okay? And then they would change those four soldiers four times a day. So the soldiers wouldn't be get, getting too tired or anything like that. They wouldn't fall asleep on duty. Six hours on, and then the rest of the day they're off. So you've got four squads of four soldiers, two at the door, two chained to Peter, and the other three squads are on other duties or resting. And so he's really well guarded. And um, Peter, I don't know what he thought, you know. He's in this prison, and he must be thinking, well, um, it won't be long. They'll take me out, they'll behead me, um, but that's kind of quick. It's okay. Could be worse. Um, and I'll be with the Lord Jesus. He'd seen Stephen die. Or if he hadn't seen him, he knew about him. And he knew how Stephen had said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And Peter must have thought, soon I'll see it too. Soon I'll see it too. It's okay. It's not a disaster. It's okay. And so Peter is reconciling himself to his death. Okay? Um, after all, God didn't intervene with Stephen. The mob wanted to stone him. They stoned him. God didn't intervene with James. James and John, the sons of thunder. And James had been arrested and beheaded. God didn't stop that. So why would God stop with me? Thinks Peter. And it's not so bad. Uh, I can't remember the names of the reformers. I think it's Bilney and... Is it Latimer and Bilney? Um, who were the first to be burned by, in England by, um, by the Queen who goes under the name of Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary because she was um, uh, violent. Yeah, she she um, had a campaign of terror to wipe out the Protestants. And these two, I'm pretty sure it was Latimer and Bilney, um, were due to be burned. And one said to the other, be of good cheer. Uh, we shall have a fine supper with the Lord tonight. And, you know, to be burned alive is... is we don't want that, do we? You, know, you, don't, you don't choose that. And yet they said, yeah, but it's passing. And we'll have a fine supper with the Lord tonight. And so I, I imagine Peter was kind of thinking like that. In the meantime, um, the church are met in Mary's house. There's a lady called Mary. She's got a son, John Mark. We'll come to him later. Uh, not tonight. But there's a lady called Mary. And in her house, the church are gathered. And they're praying earnestly. Lord, we've lost Stephen. We've lost James. We, we can't lose Peter. We don't want to lose Peter. And so they're praying earnestly that something would happen and that Peter would be restored to them, okay? Earnest prayer. That's the, the expression that's used, yeah? They're really serious in their prayer. 
And again, we need to ask ourselves the, ourselves the question. They probably hadn't prayed for Stephen because with Stephen it was all quick, wasn't it? James, though, hadn't they prayed for James? Anyway, they're praying earnestly. They're praying earnestly. And God intervenes. And he intervenes because of his own glory and his own grace. So here, here we are then. And God sends a messenger, an angel, um, and liberates Peter from the cell. Now, at this point, I want you to ask um, who the hero is of this story. Peter is in a daze. He's woken up. He probably thinks that someone's waking him up to go to execution. Um, but he's woken up and um, he's told, look at it. Um, it's written in quite a comic way and I, I don't think we're meant to, uh, you know, it's okay if we laugh. He, he, he has to hit Peter on the side to get him up. Quick, get up, he says, and the chains fall off Peter's wrists. And so Peter gets up and then the angel says, well, put on your clothes and sandals. And so Peter puts on his clothes and sandals. And you think, you know, I remember doing this with our kids when they were little, you know. Put on your coat. Leaving the house takes days when the kids are small. Put on your coat. I can't find my coat. Someone's got my coat. I can't get my arm in my coat. It takes so long to put a coat on a small child. You wouldn't believe it. Really does. And here is Peter. Put on your clothes and sandals. And he's, he's, it's almost like he's five, you know. Um... And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And so Peter follows him out of the prison. But he's got no idea what's happening. And he thinks, well, I must be dreaming. Perhaps I'm dreaming. And so out he goes. And the doors open of the prison. And uh, the iron gate that leads into the city opens for themselves uh, by itself. And they go through it. And when they walk the length of one street, the angel leaves him. And Peter finds himself wearing... His, uh, his clothes and sandals and uh, wrapped in his cloak and standing free in the city. And he thinks, how did I get here? And he thinks, well, I know how I got here, but I'm here. And so he goes to Mary's house. Meanwhile, so I ask you, is Peter our hero? He's not a very good hero, is he? You know, man of action. He usually is, but this time, no. Meanwhile, um, in Mary's house, there's a servant girl called Rhoda, okay? And uh, there's a knocking at the door, and they send Rhoda to open the door. And so Rhoda goes to the door, and uh, she says, who is it? And Peter says, it's me, it's Peter. And she recognises his voice. Does she open the door? No, she doesn't. Now, I mean, everyone is human, more or less. And um, you, you can kind of identify with her. Peter's in prison He's not going to be at the door. And anyway, which one of us has not forgotten the name of someone important or, or passed someone in the street that we know? Um, you know, we, we are prone to this kind of error. So we can kind of forgive Rhoda. But it is a little bit stupid, isn't it? So they said, go and open the door. Rhoda goes back and says, hey, it's Peter at the door. And so they sent the back to open the door again eventually. And um, then she does open because Peter carries on knocking. She can't even open the door for Peter. So is Rhoda our hero? Um, no, I think Rhoda is kind of like the, um, the patron saint of joyful confusion, uh, if we can call her that. Well, what about the church? Because the church is gathered in, in Mary's house and they're praying earnestly for Peter. Um, please, Lord, spare Peter. 
don't take Peter. Please spare Peter. And then Rhoda comes in and says, Peter's at the door. And they say, don't be stupid. He must be dead and you must be seeing visions or something. Don't be silly. And you think, who's the hero in this? Now, I want to ask you very seriously, if Peter isn't the hero, if Rhoda isn't the hero, if the church earnestly praying isn't the hero, who's the hero? We do have a hero, don't we? There's one hero. There's one hero. And it's God alone who governs all things and uh, restores Peter uh, to his church. Peter escapes and God is glorified. Only God. You know, nobody jailbroke him, if that's a word. Nobody got him out. God did it and God is glorified. And his people are covered in confusion, but they're joyful and they glorify God. Yeah? So, um, Luke then tells us, uh, verse 24, the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Why? Because God is at work. Okay? God is glorified. God is the hero. Um, I'm going to do it here. I just want to launch this challenge to you all. Please let God be the hero of your story. Yeah? The story of your life. Let God be the hero of your story. Don't try and be your own hero. Because you'll fall flat on your face. Okay, so that's Peter. Herod. Here is Herod. And he's got this conflict with Tyre and Sidon. Because Tyre and Sidon have decided that... Um, Tyre and Sidon, by the way, they're, they're trading cities. That's what they do. They trade. Yeah? And so they buy and sell and so on. And they're thinking, we don't need to pay Herod the taxes and duties that he wants. We don't want to do that. We don't want to contribute to Herod's funds anymore. We will launch out on our own. We'll be independent. It'll be the start of a new golden age for Tyre and Sidon, freed from Herod's um, supervision. And so they try and go on, uh, uh, go it alone for a while, and they find out that it, it is not a, a new golden age at all. They need to trade with Herod. They've got to trade with Herod. They have no choice because Herod is their neighbour. And so they say, okay, we do need to trade with you. Uh, please, can we patch things up? And so Herod pays a big royal visit. That's how they're going to do it. He visits Tyre and Sidon. And he does everything that Rome could do so well. And don't we just know it? You leave the building tonight and you will see the remnants of what Rome did so well. You know, a stadium. Oh, thousands of people met in a stadium, an amphitheater. How marvellous. You know, some of us, we long to be in big crowds like that, to watch a rugby match or a football match. Um, should have talked about rugby last weekend, not this weekend, but hey, you know. Um, to, to be in a crowd of people that's, that's enjoying something, a big concert or something like that. You know, a stadium, a big crowd. The Romans could do that. Look at that amphitheatre opposite and imagine how big Bordeaux was when that amphitheatre existed. I mean, they could have put the whole town in. Maybe sometimes they did. Um... Royal robes. There's a historian called Josephus who records this event for us. And he says that Herod's royal robes 
were made out of spun silver. They'd taken silver and made it into wires and spun it together to make silver thread. And so Herod, when he stood, he reflected the, the, the bright Mediterranean sun from his silver robes. Can you imagine how glorious that must have looked? You know, people shading their eyes to hide their eyes from the, the, the splendor of the glory of the radiance of the light that was coming from Herod. How amazing a man dressed like a god. Imagine nowadays matadors, you know, with their um, costumes of light. Or rock stars. Um, I don't know whether they do it so much now, but some, um, some decades ago, rock stars would wear these amazing costumes, wouldn't they? Um, and then all that Rome could do so well. Herod makes a fine speech, dressed in his glory. He speaks, and the crowd cries out, the voice of a god and not a man. The voice of a god and not a man. And that was what Rome promised you. You do well as emperor, you'll become a god. You know, when they burned the emperors, somebody would release on the sly, um, a bird. I can't remember if it was a pigeon or an eagle. Something in my mind tells me it would have been a, an eagle, um, knowing the Romans. But they would release a bird, and the bird would fly up, and people would say, look, there he goes. He's becoming a god. And that was what Rome promised you. You'll become gods. And here is this man, dressed as a god. And they all say, the voice of a god, and not a man. And what happens? He dies. Next, Herod, please. It's the way it is, isn't it? What's the expression? Any Latin scholars? I hope not. Sic transit gloria mundi. Uh, how the glory of this world passes. It passes. It's temporary. You can have royal robes, but it doesn't make you a god. And the thing is, you see, I, I don't know whether you get it, but where is power? Is it in the man, in the shiny robes, in the middle of the stadium, with everyone saying, what a voice, the voice of a god and not a man? Is that where power lies? Or is it with the guy chained between two soldiers in a prison with two soldiers guarding the door? Where does power really lie? I'll ask it another way. There's another Herod. And there's a man stood be before him dressed in purple. And um, uh, he says to Herod, You could have no power over me unless my father gave it to you. And I have to ask you, where does power lie? Does power lie in Herod in his palace and Pilate in his palace? Or does power lie in the man who is stripped naked and nailed to a cross? Where does power lie? Where does power lie? Here is Daniel's rock. It's just a rock. And it's rolled and it smashes all empires 
and makes an eternal kingdom. That's where power lies. In something so insignificant. You think, well, what is that going to do? It smashes all empires and makes an eternal kingdom. Here is a mustard seed that Jesus says grows to fill the whole earth. Jesus' invitation to you and to me is the same, isn't it? You come, take up your cross and follow me. And that's what it means to be a Christian. It's not to be dressed in royal robes uh, with an adoring crowd. It's to be uh, the one who humbly follows his master. Uh, Jesus says the meek inherit the earth. And here are the meek and they're inheriting the earth. And those who are not meek uh, disappear from the earth. This is the upside down uh, eternal kingdom of God. Where those who seem to be nothing are where God is at work. And those who seem to be everything disappear. Uh, here is Paul. And Paul starts to pray for the first time in his life. And Ananias is sent to him. And Ananias is told, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And that's where power lies. And the whole world thinks you're a loser. But you're not. You're not. Because the whole world is a loser. And those who belong to Jesus Christ. That's where the victory lies. That's where power lies. And it's not in armies. It's not in legions. It's not in conquest. It's in a little message that spreads from person to person. And turns the whole world upside down. You say, well, what about us then? Well, the first thing I want to say is simply this. Please resist the temptation to worldliness. How does one say worldliness in French? What's the expression for worldliness? I'll give you a while to think about it. But, um, you know, in, in, in so many of our minds, worldliness is like, it's men having hair that's too long. And, you know, frankly, some of us, we need to go to the barber. I certainly do. Um, and girls having hair that's too short. And hems that are too short. Um, worldliness is um, cussing and smoking and drinking and dancing. You know, that's what worldliness is. I think worldliness goes deeper than that. And further than that. Because don't we tend to think what we need to succeed in the world today is we need a Bill Gates. If only we had a Christian Bill Gates. If only we had a Christian entrepreneur who could really make things happen. Then the church would take root. Then we would grow again. We need a Christian Bill Gates. We need a big organisation. We need the Ford Motor Company. If we had a big organisation to get all the Christians organised, then we would take over the world. We need a fine preacher in Gucci shoes and a shiny suit in a stadium so that we can say, did you hear his voice? Wasn't it divine? And that's when I kind of start to feel a bit afraid, you know? We need a show of power. We need a show of power like we need a hole in the head. Jesus' invitation to us 
is to see the world differently. To look at it in a different kind of way. We need leaders who are willing to die for the message. And Sally, I mean you. I'm singling you out because you are the president of our association. Uh, we need leaders who are willing to die. Uh, but it's not just Sally Silva, my eyes on you as well. We need leaders who are willing to die, who love this message so much, they will die for it and they will live for it. Yeah? Um, I turn my mind to other people too. Or who are willing to run for their lives, because that's what Peter does. He runs for his life. He escapes. We need people who pray earnestly. Who are so convinced of the message's importance and of their need of the power of God that they pray earnestly. Maybe we need doorkeepers who are um, alert enough to open the door. Maybe. But if we can get away from this temptation to worldliness, we'll find where the power lies. Because the power does not lie. Our weapons are not the weapons of this world, are they? We depend on the power of God. I think that's why, if I ask you where the church is growing fastest today, and you know because I've, I've said this a couple of times, haven't I? Where is the church growing fastest at the moment in the world? What country? Iran. 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 You know, we all think you need a massive building. If only we had a mega church. Only had something glorious and beautiful that the people of Bordeaux would say, oh, isn't that marvellous? That must come from God. Iran is where the church is going fastest, where pastors get put in prison and where um, the church is growing anyway because of the witness of ordinary people. Iran, Iran, Iran. Just think about it. That's where... God is building his church the quickest. And so Jesus' invitation to you this evening is that you would have this devotion to see the word of God spread and flourish. And in order to do that, to be weaned away from our worldliness. Yeah? Ford Motor Company, big personalities, fine buildings, Gucci shoes, the whole lot. To be weaned away from that so that we depend on the power of God. We'll pray before moving on. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for the <clears throat> wonder of what we see in this passage of um, this uh, subversive message that uh, with simplicity uh, takes over the whole wide world, that spreads throughout the whole Roman world 
uh, Rome with its uh, legions of soldiers, with its organisation, with its administration, could do nothing to stop it because you were at work. You were at work through the witness of ordinary people who had nothing but the message of life through Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would help us to um, depend not on our techniques and our training and our money and our buildings and our enterprises and our organisation and our fancy uh, speakers with their fine words in their Gucci suits and their, their shiny shoes, um, but to depend on you and on your power uh, uh, spread through your people by your Holy Spirit. Please help us, we pray, to be serious with you. Um, give us leaders who are willing to, uh, to die because of this message, you know, who are willing to spend their lives for this message. Give us um, churches that are earnest in prayer and really uh, pray that you would move in our generation. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that your power will be seen again. Uh, this subversive power that uh, turns the world upside down in our countries in the West. Uh, we, we thank you for the growth of the church in countries where it's difficult and where they are forced to rely on you. We thank you that you are faithful to your people. When we turn to you, when we depend on you, uh, you answer and hear our prayers. We thank you for what you're doing in Iran. We thank you for what you're doing in China, where we hear in Wuhan of uh, how people are noticing the love and the uh, compassion of Christians who are willing to risk their lives to help other people. We thank you for things like this. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be continuing to build your church uh, throughout this whole wide world. Please um, amaze us by what you do so that we give you glory because we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.